Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Callahan, And hey, everybody. I'm Mark Schenk. And today we're continuing our podcast series on our corporate storytelling paper. And today the topic of focus is culture change and change management, which is a great application of story. And our special guest today is Tully Cashman. So Tully is an Australian based in Singapore, and uh, he leads the strategic transformation organisational development for APAC at Cargill Foods. So Tully's been there for about five years, and over that time, he's worked on transformation for pretty much every function and enterprise for Cargill that has a footprint in Asia. And so when it comes to talking about the concept of using story in that culture change and change management application, Tully's an expert. And so we're really looking forward to uh, to having you on the show. So welcome, hey, Tully. Welcome. Yeah, welcome, Tully. It's great to have you on. I'm excited about this yes. conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Good to be here. So how did you get... How, sorry. So, no, no, go for it, Mark. I, I just... <laughs> Go, You're both so go. excited. <laughs> Hold us back. Uh, so, Tully, how, I'm, I'm really interested. How did you get started in the, um, the change side of it? Been going on for some time. But when did story become part of the equation? Yeah, actually, I think it, if I look back, it was pretty much around 2008. I know that anecdotally, anecdotally, I just started to... Uh, to get going and I was working for a mining company BHP at the time and I actually got recommended internally from from a colleague in in our iron ore business who was who was using you and I was actually I'd been sent to work on a coal mine uh, in country New South Wales got kicked out of the office in in Sydney and to go and get some real experience on a coal mine and I was needing to implement uh, SAP and it was a little bit of a it was a bit of a challenge. So I needed quite a few different, you know, tools to be able to, to do that. And so I'd got recommended storytelling to, to use and, and, and to your, your company actually to, to, to use on the mine. So that's where it all, where it all began. It all began on a coal mine in country, New South Wales, where it worked actually quite brilliantly. After a few it was tries. a big project, wasn't <laughs> it? I remember Tully, that was enormous what BHP were doing back then, weren't they? They were, Essentially, yeah. rolling SAP out through the entire world, right? Pretty much, yeah. One, it was called one SAP, so we we're essentially trying to implement common process, common technology, a new org design, you know, and a diff, just a different way of actually looking at the, at the business, like looking at how you run a very process centric business um, that is stable, stable, stable operations, you know, saves lives. So that's why I guess the storytelling part at that particular time was really important because it was a very big shift um, from how we used to operate, much more, I guess, autonomous, a lot of, you know, diverse processes and, you know, mines being very, you know, kind of located in remote locations, they tend to, they tend to focus on what they want to focus. And so we were trying to bring in a, a very corporate, you know, company-wide one way of doing everything. And the CEO at that time also had a very big vision for that. So that's why I think the storytelling part became really important to be able to explain to them, you know, for me especially, to explain on a coal mine, um, you know, why a corporate, you know, SAP process can help them to be more stable, to save lives, to improve profitability, 
and uh, you know all those kind of things. So yeah. yeah, that's where it all started and why it was important in that time. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, one of the challenges in that was that the mine was going through enormous expansion, and so yes, the the mine management they they're very much concerned about opening new faces, bringing on new equipment, building new infrastructure, and, and getting more people on board, and so they saw the 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 technology the OneSAP implementation as a sideshow and don't yes. bother me with that. <laughs> Tully, just make it happen. And I remember when you came back from a meeting with the mine managers after you'd used the story about the 220 excavator. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so we, <laughs> it was a fair bit of a challenge to, because we, we were growing, doubling in size from about 20 million tonne to about 40 million tonne. And it's about, uh, about five tonnes of dirt for every tonne of coal. Uh, so it's something like 200 million ton of dirt that they were trying to, you know, grow to in terms of the year. So they were focused on getting the 200 million ton of dirt out of the ground. Uh, and we were focused on saying, okay, if you go from there, from where we are today to there, you need the foundation for that growth. And if you don't, if you don't have that foundation, you'll implode under all the strain of that. So we, we want to use stories to, you know, provide example of that. So it was actually a 996 excavator. Um, which is a big expensive piece of equipment. I think it's somewhere around $10 million. And for every one hour of downtime, they lose like $60,000. $60, and they had like multiple hours of downtime um, through an event where in the maintenance side, they had in the warehouse, there's a bit on, on the excavator, there's a big like kind of a, a shovel basically that's digging the dirt out and has like a little flap underneath it for which the, you know, the, the, the dirt drops out and that flap was broken and they didn't have spares in the warehouse, but it's supposed to be a critical part uh, and they didn't have that listed. And so it took them two days to get a spare part and have to expedite it and all this kind of stuff. It cost them money and they lost, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars uh, in, in, in earnings. And so we used that story to be able to say, well, in the OneSAP process, you know, what one critical aspect you have to do is identify all of your spare, you know, your critical parts, what the lead time um, of them of them is, and then manage that in the system. And so if you had been doing that process, then you wouldn't have lost, you know, that money. So that was like an example where we're able to really take something that was real for them and, you know, turn it into an example. And when we were having a workshop with the, they call him the, the asset president, you know, we told that story and he, his name was Jacques Ferry. He was like, that's exactly why we're doing OneSAP. You know, so that, that for him, we had just been talking about all of the, the implementation activity and, you know, what does uh, data migration look like and what's go live going to look like and how do we make that seamless? And then we, but we told that particular story and that's when his eyes, when his eyes lit up and said, okay, that's why we're doing it. You know what I mean? Cause we could yeah, actually right. say, Here's the money. Here's the time you would have saved, and equate it to what we were trying to implement. Yeah, so that was an interesting one. We had lots of interesting <laughs> ones on that on that mine. Now you've moved to a totally different industry, Tully, and yes, you know your new company, which you've been there for a while now. I mean, it's one of those enormous businesses that no one's ever heard of. Can you tell That's us a right. little bit about? Can you tell us a little bit about Cargo? What what's Cargo? What do they do? Yeah, that's a, a, a <laughs> that's a good complicated question to to to, to ask. It, it's actually extremely broad, but it's essentially food production uh, and trading. So we have things like food ingredients, a food ingredients business. So if you look on the back of a 
you know, a can of food or a bottle of food and you, you look at all the little ingredient lists and you see like multidextrin and sucrose and corn syrup and all these kind of things, <clears throat> all the ingredients with weird names. And that's probably come somewhere from, from Cargill. We have a poultry business that essentially, um, you know, provides like chickens, McDonald's and uh, you know, KFC, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we have an animal nutrition business that basically provides animal feed. So poultry feed, uh, pig feed, you know, beef and cattle feed. We have an agricultural supply chain business that basically does like grains trading. Uh, they're actually the only Australian wheat board here in, in, in Australia. So in Australia, it's quite a large, large grain trading business. So they capture from the, the farmers, they store it, and then they trade it. Uh, and then there's other, there's other businesses as well. There's like a metals training business. So they basically do commodity trading for iron ore uh, and, and steel. They own some software companies. Uh, there's a whole wow. bunch of, it's just a pretty broad. They do financing. So they provide, uh, you know, financing for, you know, for farmers, uh, this kind of stuff, lots of risk management. Yeah, these kind of things. So it's mm. essentially food production, agriculture, and then the supply chain that, um, would sit around that. They also have like ocean, ocean transportation. So own, I think something like 30 or 40 ships and do all, you know, shipping logistics, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. So pretty broad, pretty complicated, about 120 something billion in revenue and hundred and I think there's about 70 or 80,000 people, uh, in Asia alone, about 150 something thousand globally. So it's pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. So American, American business, right? Yeah, that's right. American business from Minneapolis. So in the kind of when the US um, was first, you know, forming itself and they were building the rails um, across across the United States, then uh, William Cargill, he, just, he essentially put uh, got grain silos at those strategic rail points to help with shipping of food across the, company, across the country. <laughs> and then 150 years later, here we are. So it'll right. start somewhere. Right. Yeah, it's going to start somewhere. That's right. <laughs> I remember being in uh, being in, in Minneapolis. Uh, well, Janu- it was January two years ago, and yeah. uh, it was minus Cold. minus ten something. Oh, like it's that. a warm day, and uh, the the ground was just covered in ice. It was just, yeah, and I remember <laughs> uh, asking people, pretty much everyone I met, why would anyone, why would humans live here? Oh, well, it's actually this. interesting though like I, I i i about two years ago uh, pretty much two years ago now i did like a nine month international assignment in in minneapolis and it was over the winter and it got to minus 40 at that point in time and the, yeah the ice the, the roads really ice up and so when you drive around a corner the car kind of slides around the corner but they're absolutely amazing at how quickly they get out and they delime the roads and the freeways you get up in the morning and drive to work at 6am and, and they've already gone out and and kind of cleared all the freeways and the local roads and and then between buildings they have uh i guess i guess kind of like uh bridges that are closed in so you don't have to go outside at all so you get used to it you just have five five extra layers of clothes on and but it's a really it's actually a nice city so it is livable they told me that minus 40 was that was a good winter a good winter, oh, right? right. <laughs> so you're you're now uh, sort of you know doing all these interesting transformations across uh, Cargill. I mean, um, how how is the the story approach 
helped you in that process? I mean, where, where do you see it play out, you know, the, the most effectively, if you like? Yeah, for sure. So I think that for us or for me, because I've been doing the storytelling process for about 10 or 12 years now, I found lots and lots of different applications for it beyond just a communication mechanism. So definitely at its core, uh, we use it to help set direction. You know, one really critical aspect of our, of our culture drive is to move away from like tactical leadership to inspirational leadership. And so in that culture push, um, we really use this as a tool to help on the inspirational leadership um, side. So helping leaders to be able to tell a, a in, you know, your clarity story pattern, to be able to set that direction of where we're going, why we're going there, where our people fit and why they matter and where we're coming from and to. So we really use that in the past and something happened, you know, story pattern as the core part of our, our communication narrative. So that, that definitely helps, but we've seen that as just, that's just the tip of the iceberg for us. You know, we, yeah. we use that across nearly pretty much every single, every single transformation that we do. But what we've actually found over doing that over time is that the, the second, and I think the more important or even, you know, more useful uh, use of it is leadership alignment. And I call it leadership alignment by stealth um, because I don't tell them that I'm going to be doing it this way. But what we found is that when we get people into a room and actually have to build that or co-create that story together, and they're actually having to argue through the story, or I should say debate and dialogue through the, through the story, and they have to tell each other the story back, that they're actually forming a better understanding of what they're doing for themselves. Yeah. And it's a much less uh, confrontational manner of just trying to do a typical hit. What's, what's, you know, your key messages or a, a message house kind right. of format. Yeah. So I find that second one is much better. Yeah. 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 I, I, I that's certainly my experience uh, as well. Whenever I do those strategy story type programs, that that is one of the big outcomes that there's something about the narrative structure that when you get people talking in that way, I suppose it's very specific and it's it's got a real clear cause and effect uh, connection. And the people in the room, as you say, they don't argue as much. They're sort of going, oh, I, you know, the real cause, the thing that changed here for me was this. And someone will go, oh, really? That wasn't the thing I think what really changed was this thing over here. And, you know, they work it all out and, and then this, bigger story starts to emerge uh, out of the group. And as you say, great for getting them online, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> I think last year we had a, a really large <clears throat> safety transformation and we did that exact process where we, we had like the global team for our EHS function come out to Asia and then the local Asia team. And they didn't really have a lot of connection with each other around understanding you know, how well and how much effort was going into safety in our region versus what they see globally. And so we had them come in and do that session together. But we started out with saying, let's just talk about, let's identify all the stories in Asia of where we're already achieving what we want to set out to do in this transformation. And we found that was super helpful because then the global team hadn't heard all those stories we put them into the little groups with the local team and they had to actually hear and talk about that story. And it was a big eye opener, you know, for the global team. 
And then likewise, the global team, they had to come up with what their stories were around how we're already seeing transformation work for Cargill as a whole. And then the regional team was able to go, oh, okay, that's what they're doing in Latin America, or that's what they're doing in, in EMEA, or that's what they're doing in North America. We can learn from that. And so prior to that, there was a little bit of tension, you know, between them around thinking that Asia wasn't doing, you know, what we should be doing in terms of pulling our weight on safety, when actually we were one of the, at the forefront of the transformation once they had heard those, you know, local, local stories. So yeah. in that sense, it's not just, you know, about the leadership alignment. It's really about that teaming element as well. I don't think I've ever told you this, Tully, but I saw a, a terrific act of leadership because I was involved in that group up in Singapore. Yes. I did that are. one session. <laughs> but I saw a terrific act of leadership uh, uh, on the day where, you know, we had the whole day together and in the morning everyone's starting to shuffle into the room and uh, a lot of the uh, folk from North America, the, essentially the, the, you know, the headquarter guys, had arrived early and they'd set themselves up a, around the boardroom table. Yes. And there was all these, and there was all these uh, seats around the outside, you know, outside of the table. And then the leader, a really tall American guy, I can't remember his name now. Al, yep. Yep. And he walks in and he just stops at the door and he sort of goes, you know, guys, uh, this is a real Asia Pacific focused meeting. So we should have our Asia Pacific uh, colleagues (laughs) at the boardroom table. Uh, My colleagues, can you shift to the it's so interesting, you know, and of course, no one was worried. They just got up and moved to the, the new tables. He yeah. sat himself <laughs> in the outer uh, ring as well. And um, this fabulous conversation ensued. Uh, I thought it was. Yeah, tremendous. exactly. That was quite good of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <it laughs> he was really set... good in how he did. Sorry, go. No, I just sort of sets the tone. Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. No, he was very good in, in, in terms of that. And he would. He also really enjoyed a fair bit of preparation activity as well. So he, because that's one of the other things that we use the storytelling for is we really like to use uh, connection stories when new leaders, you know, like like Al come to region and he's a you know the global VP of of in, in environment, health and safety. So a really big important role, and a lot of people in the region hadn't met him or really understood him and so we had worked with him around you know how can he use some connection stories and and how can he set some leadership examples uh to be able to break that ice and to really help the the local team feel much more comfortable you know especially in in our in our culture sometimes in asia they they tend to be the ones that would sit on the outside and not ask the people on the inside to to move so he was really good about you know doing that and then as I said, connection stories are a perfect example. He he also did a connection story at the start of that meeting as well. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I, I remember I remember Andrew's connection story uh, when he when he started in the regional role as the regional head of, of health and safety. You remember that one? Yeah, definitely. Andrew's probably my favourite ever. I see. I always get, you know, I always get excited when you talk about that particular one. Andrew uh, was essentially, you know, a long-time Cargill employee, something like thirty years, uh, and he's based in Singapore, but originally from 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 London. And he'd gone through many, you know, kind of very strategic roles ahead of our strategic sourcing and procurement. He he managed to plant um, in in Russia. And he became our safety transformation or our EHS leader um, for, for Asia Pacific. And so he originally 
had come from also from a, a commodity trading background. So he, for him, he, he had never necessarily seen um, safety, you know, really on the forefront of things every day in his, in his, in his trading role. But when he moved into this role, we really wanted to help him to come and, and be able to engage the entire Asia Pacific you know, region around what we're doing and why we're doing it and why safety was so important. And we knew we could put some numbers in front of people, you know, around say potential, you know, fatalities or potential injuries, you know, serious injuries, that kind of thing. But that's just all the logistics and all the incredibly important logistics and it's all the metrics, but it's not particularly, you know, what we wanted to be set, set the tone. And so we sat down with Andrew and really did like a, a lot of kind of, I guess I call it fun questioning with him to really understand why did he choose? Cause he was about to actually go into retirement. Why did he choose to not go into retirement and take on this, take on this role? And so I know, you know, Mark, you were a part of that, that conversation with him as well. And we, we found out that actually the reason he decided to take on this safety transformation was because unfortunately when he was a managing director in a plant in, in Russia, he did have a, he did have a fatality uh, where one of the workers was electrocuted uh, and he had to be able to go out to, to that person's family about three or four hours into the you know, really remote part of, of, of Russia and, and be able to kind of talk to them about the fact that their son had been, their son had been killed. And that was a pretty emotional moment for him, and and the family didn't want anything to do with with with, with him or with the with the company because it was a, an avoidable possibly, um, you know, fatality, and so he really took that to heart uh, and took that really very very personally. And so when he had been given this opportunity, he wanted to be able to create a legacy uh, for Asia and you know for our businesses where that would never happen, that would never happen again. And that no no person's family would ever have to have somebody come out and tell them that their son, you know, their son was gone from what's an, a totally avoidable avoidable accident. And so he used that story instead of coming and saying, "Here's here's you know all the you know the the, the statistics or you know here's the burning platform for why we need to to be better." He came and talked about you know that particular connection story and said, "And that's what." we're doing that's what we're trying to avoid uh and there was about three or four thousand people that were on that on that session in a town hall as well as dialed in virtually all across asia and so i had people afterwards you know kind of telling me saying that you know that they actually were, were crying you know on the call and that it was a it was a really powerful thing um for them and it gets remembered still to this day you know, and we always show the you know the video of the town hall of, of him telling that story. So when we work with other leaders and say, "Here's what we mean by a connection story. Here's what it means to be an authentic and inspirational leader," you know, watch this, or, or you know, you know the whole Brené Brown vulnerability, um, you know, push. We say if you if you want to understand what it means to be vulnerable in an authentic and inspirational way that has a purpose and can help you to establish, you know, kind of that engagement, then here, watch this. So it really helps. So we, so we use that as well. So we also use it in our skill building activities and we use that story to help people to, to make the connection 
of what does authentic and inspirational leadership actually mean? Because that yeah. term gets used a lot, but you don't necessarily know what it looks like. And we say, well, here's an example of what that looks like. Sorry, I go away. I, I also get a bit emotional every time I retell, retell that, that, that experience. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's amazing. I remember being in the room where we were extracting that story from Andrew and uh, at, at the end of, because he'd said, oh, yeah, no storytelling, and, you know, very good, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of it, he went, <laughs> okay, you can teach, teach an old dog new tricks. That's right. Is that what yeah, he said? It took me, That's what he, he said. Did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he came <laughs> after and said, he, you can teach it. Because he's, um, he's a very charismatic leader and he was a really good speaker. And he, you know, he's obviously very successful and he's worked in multiple really senior roles. And so he really felt that you know, he's already got that nailed. Because it took me about three or four months of, of trying to convince him to, <laughs> to do it. And so when I finally had worn him down, and, and he did, then he was like, oh, wow, yeah, as you said, you, you, you can teach an old dog new tricks. What was his reluctance, uh, Tully, you know, in that three to four months? Yeah, I think that he just, I think he felt that he understood communication. He'd done transformation before. I think for him, communication was just going and talking to people one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a very relationship-driven person. Uh, so, and, and the environment that, you know, we, we work in is very relationship um, driven. So I think that for him, he felt that that's how you communicate. You just go and you, you, you get, you engage all your peers and all your other senior executive leaders, you know, you have a chat, you talk through it and then you align on something in, in the, in that meeting room. So I think he, his reluctance was, well, that's how it's always worked for me you know, why wouldn't it work this time? And he, and he has been very successful in big transformation. Right. Uh, and so it wasn't also, it wasn't also like people um, were not getting it. It's just that we wanted to take the opportunity to really reset the narrative about not why not, let's not go out and, and beat people up about the numbers. Let's go and set a, an inspirational vision that's so powerful and that resonates so much that then, that creates the hook, um, especially in safety where it's, you know, it's the couple of seconds in your brain um, where you react and your, and your um, kind of response to that, that really will save lives or not. So we thought that this had to be a so much more powerful narrative to have that, that brain hook um, for people. Yeah, so I think his resistance was he just, it was just that, yeah, he yeah, probably was an old it. dog at that time. <laughs> he, he thought he was the old dog. <laughs> he was the old dog, yeah. He was pretty oh. awesome though, yeah, he was he was very awesome. I, I would love to see that video one day. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm still trying to dig it out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the, um, uh, one of the things that uh, sometimes pop up in our conversations between Mark and I is the uh, Citicorp uh, story. Uh, that was the Citicorp building story in New York, you know, the building that was perhaps uh, potentially could have fell down. And, and I remember on that podcast, uh, Mark giving it a very low score. I was very disappointed. Uh, but I, I had a big smile on my face when I heard through the grapevine that uh, it's a story that you guys use and tell in Cargill. Is, is, it, still, is it still being told or did it have a, a sort of a shelf life? <laughs> Well, it had a shelf life, <laughs> but it worked really well for a very specific point of time for our, our IT group to use when they were trying to do some, you know, some team building and to be able to really understand how all the parts that they do fit together to, to form the foundation. 
Uh, so it worked really well for that that particular point in time. Yeah. And, <laughs> and for our listeners, if you want to go back to the story, uh, yeah, just search on the on the podcast page for City Corp, and you'll you'll find the story. But it's a very engineering sort of story. Yes. But uh, I think that's that might have been the appeal, was it? Uh, exactly, because they they're very engineering orientated types. It was in our, our kind of delivery IT teams and our infrastructure team and that kind of stuff. So they they could they could resonate with it quite strongly. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. The um, what are the what are the some of the ways in which you use story, which people find a little bit surprising? There is a is there things that you know for you it seems like it sits a little bit outside the, the the you know the typical way. I know the alignment side is a is one area that yep. not many people see, but is there any other areas that uh, sort of spring to mind for you on in terms of how you use story? Yeah, oh for sure. So we also use it. Uh, as a well, as a training thing, it was you know naturally. So, in all of our change leadership activities, so we have so much transformation. We have one core part of what we do um, is having a, a kind of a curriculum to help people build their change leadership muscle. And so, the storytelling for leaders course is a is a key part of that 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 curriculum in doing the skill building side as we go through transformation. But we also use it for, in that skill building. Uh, we use it as a combination of skill building and then as a way of cascading down um, the narrative throughout the organization. That's been a, a really good example as well, where we, we get our, our senior leaders into a room and they co-create the initial story and you get that, that leadership alignment. But then we then cascade it down to the next level. So then all their direct reports, they have to get into a room as well. And they get, they get the story from the leaders, but then they get to then put their words into it. They get to mine their example stories to be able to support it. They have to tell it to each other um, as well. And so they do a basically a half day of some skill building and then a half day of building their version of the story. It still snaps into the overall narrative, but it drops down and allows them to put their words around it. And then their direct reports um, also have to then go through the session and they get the story and they get to put their words you know, around it, practice it um, together as well. And so we use it quite extensively as a combination of that skill building, alignment, narrative generation, and then engaging multiple levels of the organization um, into that story. And so even though at each level, the story gets modified a little bit, there's always a, the core part of the narrative that allows people to put their words around it. Because what we found is that we could sit in a dark room and come up with the most beautiful story, you know, ever. Uh, but when it gets to actually at the, you know, the, the first level, you know, line manager, they're going to tell it how they want to tell it. So you might as well give them the construct and the pattern, but allow them to have their own fingerprint, you know, on the story. So we found that worked really well. And we've, we've deployed that to multiple times to over probably, you know, five or 600 people in one, you know, kind of cascading hit all across Asia. We, the one we did for finance, we, it was across probably four, about 10 different countries. And we did it in about you know three different languages, so we really were able to kind of harmonise that that common story across the entire region, multiple cultures, multiple multiple regions. Uh, so that, I think that's one that took people by surprise and just how we we utilised it for like three or four different things 
um, in that that kind of transformation change. I tell you that um, that point you make about um, don't don't sweat the details of the words and and try to create the perfect story. Mm, it's such right. an important <laughs> thing. I'm going through one at the moment. It's a big pharmaceutical uh, business, and and the senior leaders want those words to be perfect. Right? And exactly. I have to keep reminding them, hey, this is an oral story. People actually tell it how they bloody well want, right? Exactly. Don't <laughs> and sweat it that the, way as well. Oh, better they own it. They, you know, they, you know, it really just digs into their, you know, uh, into the culture, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, and so you we might some, um, go, Mark. Yep. Oh, I just I was listening to something this morning. Somebody uh, was arguing for the use of the word nascent. Yeah, it was the perfect <laughs> word. It was the perfect word. And it's like yes, but it's not a word that people will say when they're talking. You know, it's not like exactly. it's the natural word, and so they're not going to say it. So you might as well find the word that. <laughs> You know, just listen, let, let them figure out what, you know, how would they say it if they were at a barbecue? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And we have a lot of really amazing, you know, corporate affairs and communication specialists in our company that, that do really, you know, fantastic brand work and are really good at, are good at that. And, and that's one of the things that we've worked quite a lot with them around of, uh, in this particular context, you want to be able to set, set kind of a framework and have a pattern. And as long as there's a core, the core message is correct, then don't worry too much about getting the, you know, that the words exactly right or the, you know, <clears throat> on the, on the, the piece of paper that was written on that the, you know, the word is two millimeters from the left-hand side of the, of the, <laughs> of the column that meets the brand rule, <laughs> because when it gets down to a, a manufacturing plant in Thailand or, a, you know, a chicken plant in, in China or a, you know, they're not going to be too worried about that. They're just going to give it their best go. Yeah. And they enjoy it that way as well. Cause actually for them, it's a very new experience, you know, being able to get in, you know, it makes comms fun and engaging. They learn a new skill. Uh, and then they also find, especially in Asian, you know, culture, it can tend to be a very storytelling orientated culture anyway. And they don't realize they're actually already telling stories and so when they get this little pattern and they f understand how that pattern can be associated to a, an actual point, they get really super excited, you know, about that because it, it actually is just taking what they're already good at and gives them some structure uh, to, to, to help them. So, yeah, we've done quite a few, few sessions as well where we use it for one-on-one -on -one coaching. So we use it for individual development planning where there's new leaders who have maybe had to have been, previously in a, a small business in a local country who have been suddenly promoted and now they have to manage across multiple countries and multiple businesses. They have to engage all different types of stakeholders, executives from across you know, multiple parts of the company and they need this now as a skill. Yeah. And, they, and they also, they start to engage, we use it with customers as well. They use it so many, many different ways that we've, we've, we've used it. Beautiful. Which I always, that's the most exciting thing for me. I always find that when I originally came across it, I thought it was just a, a way of communicating, but actually you can remold it and use it for so many different change and, and culture type activities. As I said, from creating a narrative to leadership alignment by stealth through skill building in, in change leadership, uh, culture change to individual development planning activities you know, helping new leaders to create connection with their people. You know, we've used it a lot in team effectiveness as well. 
my favorite one is that Steve is the Steve Jobs one, the rock tom the rock tumbler one. We always use that in transformation about how you know the rocks maybe dirty and unpolished and they go into the tumble and they bash around and they make lots of noise and there's grease and there's dust and all that kind of stuff. But out the other end comes the polished stone. And that's how Steve Jobs, you know, talks about design and transformation. And so we always use that at the start of any transformation and say, it's going to be a rock tumbler, but that's okay. Because out the other side, you know, is going to come something that's, you know, quite amazing. So let's talk about, on the other side, what do you think that would be? And they kind of imagine, they imagine the, the, the I guess, the future or the, the vision of what comes out the other side of the rock tumbler. And that becomes a part of the, the clarity story pattern in terms of the, you know, the why, you know, in, in order to. Yeah. So we, we combine the stories as well. So we use things like that Steve Jobs rock tumbler story to help them to, you know, kind of visualize and then say, okay, imagine those polished diamonds or the polished rocks. Now let's go to the story, the clarity story pattern and talk about the in order to, so what would that look like? So we, we, we connect all the stories together or connect to different, different aspects of it together as well. Yeah. I love it. It's, I mean, Mark and I and, and, the, and the guys here at the anecdote team have been talking about this idea of, you know, story powered organizations and, and that, that yeah. it's more than, than the storytelling, you know, it's the story listening, there's the story triggering, there's, there's a whole suite of different things you can do. And, and that's really what that corporate storytelling paper is all about. It's trying yes. to introduce people to the fact that, Hey guys, you're missing out on so much if you're just teaching people how to tell stories. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the Easter eggs are in all the connections. That's it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So um, I'm, you know, these set of conversations that we're having is just trying to get people to think more broadly about narrative and how it really works in companies, you know, in all different sizes and shapes. So that's no, um, that's a terrific example. It's a good reminder of the rock tumbler story. I'll have to use that more often. Yeah, we I've, <laughs> I've used that one so many times, or the the Demet the Demet Semet one, um, which is the you know the employee in the Heathrow Airport, and he goes off and you know explores all for himself on the on the technology and comes up with really great automation. So we were going through a huge amount of uh, transformation as well in our finance area, where you know trying to transition to a digital finance. But they're also trying to transition their mindset to don't expect the company to come and train you in Power BI and Tableau and all these kind of things, you know, every day. You can go to YouTube or you can go to all these places and learn it for yourself and actually drive your own um, development and, and drive your own expertise and be as good at it. And so that was, you know, quite difficult in an organization that was used to let's get into a training room and we'll get trained on Power BI and you, yep. there'll be a community of practice and there'll be all super users that will help you. And so we used that, that damn it, Semit story uh, as a way of saying, who, how can we be Semit? You know, can you, how can you be Semit? You know, there's an example. And so we use that when we're rolling out our, you know, kind of Coursera and Degree and all these digital learning to say, you know, be Samet. Right. So it was quite, that was quite a fun story we've used as well. The Demo Samet one. We've used the futsal one as well. The, I love that one as well. The, the soccer one about the English, you know, soccer uh, coach going to Brazil and spending all that yep. time and finding out about, you know, futsal and bringing that best practice back. And then I think his team under 14 team, maybe from memory, then beat like a, a national level team. 
Yes. And so we use that one as well. We have this thing called bringing the outside in. And so we talk about how do you bring the outside in, but rather than say, let's bring the outside in, we use that futsal story about going and finding best practices from elsewhere and then bringing them into our company and, you know, getting even better. So yeah, we use right. that one a lot as well. Sorry, I get so, a bit excited when I start remembering all the stories that we've, <laughs> that we've yeah, used yeah. from your podcast. Yeah, so these are all these are all from the podcast uh, listeners. So yeah, just search through those titles that Tully's using. You'll you'll find those stories in the in the. I think we've done over eighty stories now, haven't we, Mark? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, there's a lot in there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every meeting quite... I go and I scroll through and I go, okay, which one could I possibly use in this particular scenario? <laughs> <laughs> Good. And then uh, there's also times where you, you maybe you send us an email uh, going, oh, I need, I haven't got a, the right story for this, and uh, yes, and I don't that's know, the design we... thinking one, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the premium service, the premium <laughs> service for our best customers, yeah. <laughs> that's well, right. yeah. I remember asking about that one for design thinking, yeah. <laughs> so we probably should, uh, you know, wrap things up. This has been fabulous uh, talking to you about how how you're doing the story work in Cargill, uh, Tully. Uh, is there any uh, last questions or thoughts that you want to add, Mark? I know you, every time I try to wrap things up, Mark's looking at me like, don't wrap it up. I've got <laughs> another question to ask. <laughs> We're not done yet. No, I, I, I'm good, but I, I, I really want to thank Tully for being on the show and just for uh, you know the opportunity to, to work together uh, over an extended period because it uh, – it's been fantastic, uh, and I feel that uh, it's really made a difference. So, uh, well done to you for uh, for taking on, and good luck for the next thirteen days of quarantine. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll do a lot of story mining in quarantine, but they might not be they might not be great stories. <laughs> Is that by a Netflix? Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's gonna be a big a big Netflix binge. So if my manager hears this, um, hears this podcast, and I'm not watching Netflix River, I'm doing all my work. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, thanks everyone for for listening to another episode of Anecdotally Speaking, and yeah, please tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Anecdotally speaking, was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.